just because your child enjoys or likes or feels regulated by a certain sensory input, it doesn't make them a sensory seeker. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura. OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hello, parents. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today, we are going to talk about a topic that I should have probably talked about in the beginning of my podcast season when I started teaching about the different sensory profiles because I forgot to address one of the most common questions I get asked after I teach parents what sensory processing is, what sensory seeking is, what sensory avoiding is. I often get the question, Well, my child seems to do a little bit of both. Can my child be both a sensory sensitive child and a sensory seeker? And yes, absolutely. The answer is yes, they can. And it's actually pretty common. So that's what we're talking about today. And when I talk about mixed thresholds, I'm referring to the threshold or bar or level that a certain sensory input needs to reach before it's noticed or recognized by the nervous system, which is the brain. So remember, we have eight sensory systems. We have visual, tactile, which is touch, um, smell, taste, sound, vestibular, proprioception, and interoception. Wow, I always stumble over naming eight of them. It's like naming the dwarves or the reindeer. There's always one I forget, but there are eight. So you could have a mix of different responses to each of those thresholds in a sensory processing challenged individual. So just to explain very, very quickly, a person with a low sensory threshold typically notices sensory input at a higher, more intense rate than someone with a high sensory threshold. So I'm going to repeat that again because even I stumbled through that sentence. A person with a low sensory threshold, a low bar, typically notices sensory input at a higher, more intense rate, and maybe even more frequently than someone who has a high sensory threshold. And just to make things sound a little less sciencey, I like to talk about thresholds like cups and how much liquid a cup could hold. So you'll hear me talk about a sensory cup being small, which is like having a low sensory threshold, which is what our sensory sensitive kiddos have. And then you'll also hear me talk about a large sensory cup, which is like having a high sensory threshold, which is our sensory seekers or also our sensory under responders. Remember, they're is a difference between those two profiles and it can get kind of complicated, but just make sure you go back to listen to episodes six and seven if you need a review on each of the individual sensory profiles. But again, today we're talking about those kids who have a 
poo-poo platter, a um, charcuterie board, a potpourri bucket with a mix of different sensory responses to different sensory domains. But first, one thing I do want to clarify, as there tends to be some confusion, usually when we talk about sensory seekers, is that just because your child enjoys or likes or feels regulated by a certain sensory input, it doesn't make them a sensory seeker. So I'm going to repeat that again. Just because your child enjoys, likes, or feels regulated by a certain sensory input, it does not automatically make them a sensory seeker. For example, I like the feeling of my weighted blanket. I like sitting on the couch with it. I like sitting on my bed with it. It helps me feel calm. It helps me feel zen and cozy. I like that proprioceptive input from my weighted blanket. And it also gives me some tactile input because it's soft and fuzzy. But I'm not a sensory seeker. I don't seek out tactile input. I don't seek out proprioceptive input. It's just one of my self-regulation tools. That kind of input regulates me, but that does not make me a sensory seeker. A sensory seeker is someone who will constantly look out and find ways to get a certain sensory input and also seek out more intense levels of it and not know when they've had their fill. It's like a kid who spins and spins and spins without feeling dizzy or a kid who could, who would completely dive into the sensory bin or dump it over their head if they could and just never stop playing with it. You can tell a sensory seeker when you see one. So if you have a sensory sensitive kid with a low threshold, a small sensory cup who maybe dislikes loud sounds and toilets flushing, can't tolerate a lot of loud sounds, but they like playing in the sand at the playground, it's their favorite thing, or they love finger painting, or they love playing with Play-Doh, all of that tactile input, that doesn't make them a mixed threshold child. It just makes them a sensory sensitive child who is regulated by some touch input or just enjoys those activities. It does not make them a sensory seeker as well. So hopefully that clarifies that before we move on, because today we're going to talk about what it looks like when someone actually has different sized sensory cups and is a sensory seeker and sensory avoider across different domains and within domains. So there are those two main differences in how someone could present with mixed thresholds. So first, we're going to talk about someone who has mixed thresholds within the same sensory domain. So you could have someone who has mixed thresholds or different sensory cup sizes, small and big, within the same sensory domain. So let's say your child is hypersensitive, which means they have a low tolerance for or a low threshold, a small sensory cup. All of those are the same things for messy play. They don't like playing with Play-Doh, they don't like touching sand, they don't like mud, they don't like finger painting, anything that gets their hands or feet wet or sticky, they try to avoid or maybe they cry when they see it or touch it or they have a meltdown or increased behaviors around all of those messy play things. But then also the same child might love and really seeks out and has a high threshold for cuddles with you, or they really love really, 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 really tight bear hugs to the point where you feel like you're going to crush their, um, (laughs) their rib cage, or maybe they love the feel of a certain fabric or blanket. Like they're constantly rubbing a certain fabric. 
all of these sensations, the water, the Play-Doh, the sand, the cuddling, the fabric of the blanket, those are all different kinds of tactile touch inputs. So a child can seek out some kinds of touch while also being hypersensitive and avoiding other kinds of touch. And that can also happen with other senses. For example, movement. Sometimes a kid could be super, super sensitive and gets very dizzy from any kind of spinning, even if it's one little tiny rotation, but they might seek out and move a lot in like the forward motion plane. So um, swinging front and back really, really fast and just running really fast through an environment. Those are both related to the vestibular sense. And you can have a kid have a small sensory cup for spinning, but a large sensory cup for running and moving front and back. So the other kind of mixed threshold I talk about, and that's actually pretty common, is when a child is a sensory seeker for one sensory domain, like movement, let's say, but is sensitive to another kind of sensory input, like sound or touch. This one is pretty common. For example, you could have a child who is extremely sensitive to sounds. Maybe they hate the sound of toilet flushing. That's a common one. Or they get overwhelmed in busy environments like schools or birthday parties. And they tend to shut down or even melt down when they have too much auditory input. But then they are constantly moving and jumping and swinging and spinning and just seeking so much movement in their environment. Or maybe you have a kid who is an extremely picky eater. They're sensitive to the textures of food, temperatures of food, tastes and smell of food, and getting them to eat anything but goldfish is a huge task. But this same child is always chewing on their sleeves, maybe chewing on pencils, biting their nails, crashing into other kids, jumping off of high surfaces, and is very much a rough and tumble kind of kid. They love wrestling and all of that big body input. That is a proprioceptive seeker who is also sensory sensitive to tactile input and smell input. That is a mixed threshold. So you really could have a different size sensory cup for each one of the sensory domains. But again, remember, just because something regulates your child, it doesn't mean that they are a sensory seeker. And also vice versa, just because your child dislikes something, it doesn't mean that they're sensory sensitive or are a sensory avoider. Now, there is something else that is sometimes confusing to parents, and it can seem like your child has a mixed threshold, but... In reality, it's just that they prefer to be in control of a certain input. So let me explain. I, when I'm consulting with my clients, one of the common questions I get or something that they mention is like, my child dislikes loud sounds. They complain about a lot of voices. They always want people to talk quieter. They want to turn down volume on my TV when I have it on, but my child is really loud themselves, or they love banging on pots and pans, or they love playing their TV shows really loud. So how can they be sensitive to sound, but then also create so much sound themselves? And the answer is that this is because a lot of kids who are sensory sensitive prefer to be in control of the sensory input. 
And there's a couple reasons this is the case. One is obviously when you're in the when you're in control of the stimulus, you can control when it starts and when it stops. You know what button to press to turn something on and turn something off. So it's just something more predictable for you and you feel safe when you're in control of it. The other part is being in control of it already helps you, your nervous system, discriminate and identify what that sound is. So one of the reasons why some sensory sensitive kids have a hard time regulating their response to some sensory input or why a lot of sensory sensitive kids have big meltdowns or big emotional outbursts when they experience a certain sensory input that's out of their control is because their brain has a hard time processing and labeling and identifying what that is. And when the brain can't identify what something is when it's new, sometimes its default is to label it as something dangerous and something that it needs to protect your body from. So it tells you to run away from it, to cover your ears, to hide, to cry, to scream, fight or flight. So an example is when the sound of an air conditioner or the heater or the refrigerator buzzing goes on and your child notices it and they're like, what is that? They don't know what it is, but they're very hyper aware of that sound. So they're sensitive to sound and it might even bother them, but because they don't know what it is, it's, it's, um, it's hard for them to filter it out. Their brain is telling them to pay attention to it because it might be danger. And in the same environment, that child might be screaming really loud or playing with a super loud toy and be completely okay with it. So that is not a mixed threshold. That is a sensory sensitive child who has a hard time discriminating between different sounds and prefers to be in control of making sounds in their environment. And this can apply to even the touch sense. So you could have a child who is completely fine um, getting messy in sensory bins and playing and cuddling with you, but they like to initiate the hug or they like to initiate the cuddle and they might get very frustrated or emotionally Um, drained or have big meltdowns if someone runs up to them and gives them a hug or gives them a kiss or accidentally bumps into them in line because those are those are touches that are imposed on them so hopefully that gives you a good overview on what mixed thresholds can look like but remember at the end of it all we all every single human being on this planet have some sort of sensory quirk. We have sensory inputs that we love, some that we don't love, some that regulate us, and some that we don't even really care about or think about much. But only when you start seeking out a certain input to the point that it interferes with daily life and functioning, or when you start avoiding or being hypersensitive to input to the point that it interferes with daily life and daily functioning, does it need to be addressed as a sensory processing disorder, or if any part of your sensory processing challenges impacts your ability to build higher level skills or participate in your daily life that is in a way that's meaningful and purposeful to you. Only that is when you would need to seek support. Otherwise, you're just part of the sensory quirks that we all have, which is uh, like for me, I really I'm I'm pretty sensitive to movement which I say all the time I don't like upside down roller coasters and I could sense an earthquake in the first like millisecond um but that doesn't prohibit me from 
participating in daily life or doing the things that I need to do. I can go on an escalator. I can go on an elevator. I can go on long car rides. I can um, do a lot of rides at Disneyland. It doesn't prohibit my social participation. Again, go back to episodes, I would even say five, which is um, about what sensory processing is. I would go back to episodes five, six, and seven if you want a in-depth look at the different sensory profiles. But before we close this episode, I want to just quickly talk about um, then what does this mean when your kids have, sent, uh, have mixed thresholds and what can you do as a parent? Because I know it can be very confusing, even as a therapist, as an OT who does this for a living, but it can be confusing for parents and caregivers and teachers coming up with the proper support plan for children who have mixed thresholds. And the thing to keep in mind is we really just need to keep paying attention and observing our kids' behaviors, how they act in the world, and notice any patterns that come out of it, and also try to analyze those patterns of regulation and dysregulation to come up with the best plan of action. Now, this is best done, if you have a complicated case, this is best done with the help of an OT or someone who really understands sensory profiles. And they might help you tune in to some of the more important behaviors that your child is having and help you draw links between that behavior and a certain sensory trigger or a certain sensory input that might regulate that um, need, that drive that they have. But keep in mind that sensory drives behavior and sensory drives emotion as well. Sensory behavior and emotion just are really, really intertwined. So if you think about it, when you experience the emotion of anger, you have bodily sensations which is part of the interoception sense, like having a fast heart rate, increased body temperature, and it can cause your body to tense up and maybe make a fist and hit a pillow or a person or stomp your feet, which are behaviors. And those were driven by emotion, but it had sensory and behavior impacts. Sometimes a sensory trigger can drive emotion and behavior. Like let's say you're a sensory sensitive child who is sensitive to touch and you're standing in line at school and someone bumps into you and that unexpected touch out of your control made you feel an emotion like anger or anxiety or worry. And then your outward behavior was maybe you pushed that kid because that kid bumped you and made you feel a certain way. So that is how sensory behavior and emotion can all be intertwined. And really, really tuning into your child's sensory needs, especially if they have mixed thresholds, is really, really important. We can tell a lot about our kids by their behavior. And no, it's not always clear. It's not always black and white there are usually still some clues that we can tap into and that's our best bet at supporting a child with mixed thresholds. If you want help detangling your child's sensory behaviors, if they have mixed thresholds and you want the best plan of action for them or at least to talk out some strategies, I am here to help. I consult with parents one-on-one via Zoom, and I have some space on my caseload. If you want to find out more how you can work with me, then head to theotbutterfly.com forward slash parent 
consult. And I'll also put a direct link in the show notes. I hope this episode was helpful. I hope this clarified a few things. I hope it didn't make you even more confused. All right, and that wraps up this episode for this week. This will be the last episode of 2021. I will be back next week in 2022. I hope everyone has a great holiday and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.